Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is me, Sham Floorgreen, the 25th. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my review of the Ravenloft campaign setting revised box set, second edition, by Bruce, <clears throat> Bruce Nesmith, Nesmith, Andrea Hayday, and William W. Connors. Now, I will be going through all of my impressions of this box set after having read through it. This is not a traditional review, whereas I didn't pre-write like a synopsis of the story because it's a game product. It's not a novel. So there's nothing to spoil, really. I mean, maybe there is if you never didn't know anything about Ravenloft before. But anyway, this is going to be a little bit different. Now, I would like to know your thoughts. So if you're not watching this live, put your thoughts in the comments below. If you're watching live, let me know what you think about Ravenloft as a campaign setting in Advanced Dungeons Dragons 2nd Edition, because that is the version that I'm reviewing. And of course, this is the third release of a Ravenloft campaign collection. And I'll get in that in just a second. I would like to uh, invite you to consider becoming a member of this channel if you're not already. And of course, remind you that you can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials, even Ravenloft materials, by using the affiliate links in the description below. So when you hook yourself up, you hook a brother up. It's a win-win, right? <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that's what I think. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Working on your Obi-Wan impressions. <laughs> Hello there. So far, the only thing we have in common are we're both terrible liars. <laughs> nice, nice. <clears throat> it would be a fair question to ask. Why is he reviewing a Ravenloft box set on a Dragonlance channel? I don't really have a good answer for you. Other than I'm going to be running the adventure module When Black Roses Bloom, which is a... Ravenloft module, but it focuses on Lord Soth. And Lord Soth was created and returned to Dragonlance. And since I'm a fan of Lord Soth, I figured, why not? So I'm going to. So I hope you're interested in hearing about this. And if you're not, then I'll catch you on the next one. It's okay. I don't mind. No hard feelings. All right. That being said, let's get into this, shall we? I actually don't have a lot <laughs> to say about this other than... This is the third release. So originally there was a box set released called like the Black Box or something like that. Um, Ravenloft went through a lot of timeline progression events, much like Dragonlance. The timeline progresses as modules are released. From that first box set, which quickly became pointless because all the data in it was outdated by the time the other modules were released for second edition in Ravenloft, then they released a book called like Domains of Dread or something like that, which was the campaign book from that point in time, all you know, covering everything preceding it going into uh, the future. But then that didn't really include some information that they thought they really needed. And again, the modules kept progressing. So they had to release a revised box set, which is this one, which in second edition was the last campaign setting for Ravenloft release. So it wasn't a standalone book. It wasn't a, the previous box set. It was both of those rolled up, wrapped up into one with all of the information contained as far as TSR's releases for Ravenloft to date. And it's the last box set or the last campaign source released for Ravenloft until later editions. So if you want a second edition box set, get this one, don't get the other ones. That's important to understand because there are some changes and updates made in this one, and not just 
like errata and errors that were corrected, but it actually like covers a lot of the information. Now I will say one of my biggest complaints about this product, about this box set, is that it references a lot of other material releases, a lot of other game accessories and modules that have been released previously. It does this so that it doesn't have to show every game statistic for every single type of creature or whatever. But the problem is, if you're just getting into this game and into this campaign setting and you just bought this version of it because you didn't want to have to buy everything else, all this version is doing is telling you to buy everything else if you want all the other information. So that's a problem. So either give us a shortened stat block or some sort of synopsis or something so that we don't feel like we have to buy all the other modules to figure out what the hell happened before this box set was released. That's not what they did. So they encourage you to buy other materials. Of course, you know, at this point, TSR was already wildly bankrupt, trying to release tons of box sets for all of their campaign settings. And they just, they didn't have the money. And so they were trying to encourage people to buy all their older materials. So that's my first complaint about this. <clears throat> I was first introduced to this box set in the 90s. Like, I, I, I was a devoted Dragonlance player. Um, as far as just me personally, you know, I was sort of exploring alternative ideas about reality and magic and the occult and stuff like that. And so I, I had my friend of mine had made a connection with people who, gothic people, you know, vintage goths, but they actually thought they were actually vampires. So it was like goth plus. And so I went over to their place. They played Advanced Sons and Dragons 2nd Edition, and so, so did we. So we thought, hey, why not just get together and have a larger pool of players and just try out some stuff. And they, I've always been the DM, and so they encouraged me to DM a Ravenloft game. And so that was my first introduction to Ravenloft, playing with actual people who actually thought they were vampires, even though they're just a bunch of teenage goths who were sort of forced to grow up too quick because of circumstances. That's where I'm coming from when I think of Ravenloft. And so I have really, really fond memories of Ravenloft as a campaign setting and knowing that Lord Soth bled into it just sort of made me pay more attention to it than I otherwise would have because, of course, I love Dragonlance and Lord Soth. And so that's really why I wanted to delve a little bit more, a little bit deeper into this. I never played the where uh, when Black Roses Bloom module before which is why i'm running it this halloween season and so that's why i'm doing all this anyway that's my background on ravenloft <clears throat> i never read that box set from cover to cover like i did just recently and so all the information that i garnered from it was stuff that i really could have used in those earlier campaigns as a kid because i mean that was before i graduated high school so we're talking like more than 30 years ago <laughs> like a really long time ago um, anyway, my age notwithstanding, um, this is the culmination of second edition Ravenloft products that came before it meant to clarify and present all of the core campaign information in one place so that you wouldn't have to buy a bunch of disparate materials in order to just get a start, get a foothold in Ravenloft. Hey, John, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Black Roses Bloom after you finish in the toilet. Fear not, South is pleased. Okay, I don't know what that means. That's kind of terrifying. Did Hickman help create Ravenloft? You, yeah, Tracy and Laura 
both together created Ravenloft in the I-6 Ravenloft module for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. It was taken over from them once they sold that to uh, TSR, and then it was remade. That exact module was remade in second edition as well, as long as well as like expanding out the the entire world. So yes, Hickman did, and both Hickmans created it. Uh, and it's important to note that because their perception that Advanced Dungeons Dragons was missing a romantic horror setting brought in a whole sensibility that if it was not for them would have been a massive vacuum. So White Wolf created uh, Vampire the Masquerade and this whole world of darkness and tons of spin-off campaign stuff that focused exclusively on role-playing in a gothic horror setting. <clears throat> there was a, a modern setting, but they also had like, you know, historical settings in that too, which didn't exist up until then. And so if Ravenloft didn't exist in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, all those people who wanted that fix would have completely switched over to White Wolf. And by and large, a lot of them did. TSR was having a hard time trying to keep up with White Wolf products because they were, one, well-written, the game world was great, the game mechanics were great, and people, it was like the new thing, you know? Dungeons & Dragons was the old kid on the block. White Wolf was the new kid on the block. So, hey, Goldman, thanks for tuning in. Good to see you. Um... Oh, I appreciate that, John. I really do. So it's exciting that we get to get this vision of a gothic horror fantasy in Dungeons and Dragons from Tracy and Laura Hickman, the same two amazing game designers that created Dragonlance. And to see it sort of taken and moved on is very similar to the way that Dragonlance was taken and moving on from the original author, authors. Um, that is to say that creators, I should say, not authors, because really, Tracy Hickman didn't write most of the modules. It was more Douglas Niles and Harold Johnson wrote a lot of the game products and etc. Anyway, that being said, Ravenloft is the realm of terror. That's how it sort of presents itself. And it does a really good job. Um, realm of Terror is the name of the first book. There's two main books in this. So let's sort of go on what, what you get in this box set. There's the Realm of Terror book, which is a 160-page book dealing with the rules of character classes, the sort of mechanics of the game. There's the Domain and Denizens book, which is 128 pages, which details the different lands and the different lords of Ravenloft. Then you have a, two maps depicting where those different domains and islands are in Ravenloft. You have a poster featuring the painting of uh, that's on the cover here by uh, Robin Rupel. You have the Taroka deck, which is a, like a tarot deck, basically, which is integral to the entire concept of Ravenloft. Not only is it used by the main sort of gypsy group called the Vistani, which are the only people that unencumberedly travel from domain to domain, to domain throughout all of Ravenloft, but the tarot deck led to the Talus card deck. In Dragonlance, it, I don't know what it is about Margaret Weiss and Tracy, I'm sorry, um, Laura and Tracy Hickman and their love of having tarot decks in their game systems, but Ravenloft added the Taroka deck, which they used playing cards in the first edition version of it in order to do it, but it's just a way to randomize the game uh, module itself which is really, really interesting. It was a very innovative way to approach a module, and it completely changed the way that they designed 
moving forward, again, making the Talus card deck, which then randomized and influenced the way that the game would go uh, in a completely different direction for the Dragonlance campaign of DL1 through 14. They included it in the second edition. It's not as impactful, but it's still there if you wanted to uh, dive into it. That's good, <laughs> Gold Moon. That's probably a good thing. Okay, so then aside from the Taroka deck, uh, you get the DM screen, which uh, is really just sort of a DM screen catered to Ravenloft game mechanics. And what Ravenloft did really well was introduce new game, horror-specific game mechanics that really hyper-focus what it means to be in Ravenloft. So let's get into that for a second. First of all, the, the campaign book, The Realm of Terror, gives you the history of the setting, which is really fun, because the name Ravenloft is actually just the name of Strahd von Zarovich, the main vampire of the series shown here in the picture, of his castle. And so it all starts with him uh, being jealous of his brother's to-be wife and actually wanting his wife. And uh, it led to him murdering his brother and his wife dying, or his would-be wife dying. And so the dark forces of the um, ethereal plane sort of swooped around and took uh, Count Baron von <laughs> Zeroff or whatever, um, the Strahd von Zarovich, I totally messed that up. They took him and his castle into the ethereal plane, and these dark forces sort of control everything. They control whether or not you can leave, whether or not they pull you in from any other campaign world without your desire. And uh, if you're evil enough, they will then give you your own domain and sort of trap you as a prison. So these dark forces control everything in this demiplane of dread, in the ethereal plane. Um, and again, it's really important to understand the difference between a traditional horror story, like Call of Cthulhu, for example, uh, and or like a slasher film, and uh, the gothic horror of Ravenloft. And the biggest difference is tone. You know, rather than having this, you know, scary moment of a murderer running up to you with a butcher knife and trying to hack you to pieces, gothic horror is really about building the sense of dread, which is all role-playing based. So if you have players that are really just focused on game mechanics and min-maxing their characters and, you know, dealing the most damage with the biggest weapon, they're probably not going to enjoy Ravenloft and the Dungeon Master and other players certainly won't enjoy playing it with them. The point of Ravenloft is that you're supposed to role-play the horror and there's no easy way of doing that. I played a horror-specific Army of Darkness game, role-playing game, just built around the idea of Army of Darkness, which is in the Evil Dead universe. Building on horror, you can describe it, but if the players aren't interested in role-playing it, there's really nothing there. It just falls flat. And so Ravenloft really encourages you as the DM to present horror, like slowly building horror, rather than hack and slash which you just find in a basic Dungeons & Dragons dungeon type horror. That being said, they give you some mechanics to help the role-playing along. And this is really, I think, the strength of Ravenloft in this box set, which really highlights it. They give you fear checks, they give you horror checks, which at the time it was released did not exist in Dungeons & Dragons. 
Uh, and then they give you madness checks. They give you power checks. I mean, all sorts of mechanics in order to make sure that the characters maintain their sensibility of gothic horror and force them to role play it out if they do not willingly do so. And that's what I love so much about this, more than any other campaign world, is that it empowers the dungeon master to really manipulate the playing characters infinitely more than any other setting. So much so that spells that normally work in other campaign worlds when they get to Ravenloft do not work the same. And playing characters are not supposed to know which ones work and how they work. It's supposed to be a surprise. And the whole point is to unbalance the way that your players think about their characters and the world around them. So they're forced to recontextualize events and encounters. And that forces them almost completely to role play, which is what I love. So it's really, really exciting. Engine Joe, how you doing, man? You picked this up in PDF form as well when Black Roses Bloom. Uh, did you get a copy of Mask of Red Death and Gothic Earth? I did not. Is it worth it? I, I haven't even looked into it, to be honest. Uh, let's see. Strahd became the Lord of Barovia. Yep, Barovia is the land that the darkness of um, Ravenloft forced upon him. It is a prison, basically. Uh, as much as you love Kender, to think your Ravenloft campaign should be a Kender-free one, we need the fear. The Kender and Sithicus, by and large, are vampires, so it's not going to be a good thing. Or they're slaves to be turned into vampires. Uh, the Domains of Dread extended to multiple timelines in Ravenloft, so you can set a game in 1800-style Planthus. Looks Victorian London. Yeah, that's what I like about it, too, is that it, it has... Each domain has its own feel and tone. If you want to play a, a Mary Shelley's Frankenstein version rather than like a Bram Stoker's Dracula version, they have that. Um, if you wanted to play, a, um, I, I don't know, like a, a Mad Lich version of a story, they have that. If you want to do a seafaring, a sort of evil pirate captain version, they have that. So all the different styles of, of gothic horror that you would really love to sort of dip your toe in and maybe do a one-off campaign in, they have that. I will put a pin in that and say, I would argue, you can have every one of those types of stories in Dragonlance without having to go to Ravenloft if you don't want to. That's the strength of Dragonlance over any other campaign, in my opinion. And I'm going to be doing videos based specifically on those ideas to prove my point. So... Bear with me. But that being said, we're talking about this box set here. Um, you think it would be good to role play an insane person? Yeah. Yeah. And so does your other people in your head and, and the other ones. So the fear checks are great because they tell you whether or not your character immediately just runs. Now we already have this as spells, right? Or, or a dragon fear in Dragonlance. So we understand how that game mechanic works. You roll... If you fail your saving throw, then you're taking off as fast as you can away from whatever it is that you're seeing. But a horror check is different. A horror check is slow and it builds. If you fail a horror check, you're sort of terrified in the moment. You, you don't really know how to process what you're seeing. And the more horror checks you have to check, the more you're going to have to be drawn into that fear role. So... One immediately terrifies you and forces you to run. The other just slowly builds the terror. And it's a great role-playing mechanic. And then there's the madness check. Sometimes, you know, the, the, Psionics was always in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. 
It was in the Dungeon Master's Guide from the first edition. I loved it. No one else seemed to like it at all. When second edition came out, I loved Sionix. I had the uh, Sionix handbook, the complete Sionix handbook. I played Sionix characters as much as I possibly could, but I was usually a DM, so I couldn't really do it very often. And I just, I love the idea of Sionix. Sionix in Ravenloft is dangerous because you get into someone's head that's messed up and you're seeing their messed up thoughts and, and the, the images that they're projecting, they're going to drive you mad. And that's the greatness about this. Is It's almost as if madness was contagious. Because not externally, because if you're just staring at them, you don't know the crazy things that are happening in their mind. But if you're psionic and you get in their head, or if you use a spell to get into their head, you could go crazy. You could literally lose your mind and just start trying to lick your own elbow or your ear or something like it gets bananas and, and that's just an, an aspect of this world that's so of this campaign world that's so great is that it forces you to be open to the idea of completely terrorizing your playing characters which is fun uh let's see what else um the powers check this is a, a, a game mechanic that i found very very interesting so the more powerful you are, the more the domains pay attention to you and the leaders of those domains, like Strahd von Zarovich, for example, if you're in Barovia. Um, if you're a powerful paladin, for example, and you enter a domain of dread, you exude a sort of aura that breaks through the darkness that is inherent to this setting, this domain. And the rulers of those domains can sense that as if it was like a, a gong being struck far away, right? You just hit that gong and it just sort of resonates. And eventually they hear something. They're not sure what it is. They're not exactly sure exactly where you are, but they know you're in the area because they can sense your goodness and it's disgusting and it's filthy. <laughs> and they don't like it at all. Uh, it's so great. And if you're evil, the greater the evil act you commit, the actual darkness of Ravenloft will react and you'll have to make what's called a powers check. And that means that the, 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 um, the powers of Ravenloft are paying attention to you. And the more evil you get and the more power checks you fail, not only do the domain rulers realize who and where you are, but the setting itself will see you, make you a non-playing character, and imprison you like all of the other domain leaders. So the more evil you do, the more likely you are to become your own imprisoned non-playing character, which is a very, very cool idea. And it's not aspirational. So you can't be like, ooh, I want to have my own domain. I'm going to be as evil as possible. No, no, no. The DM takes your character over. You don't get to choose once you become evil enough to to draw the attention of Ravenloft. And so it's not aspirational. It's something you always kind of have to watch that balance. So if you are just an evil character, which of course they're fun to play, you have to be careful about how evil, <laughs> you know? You may be like stroke the hairless kitten evil on your chair trying to rule the world, but you don't actually want to do anything bad enough to draw the attention of the powers that be. Very cool stuff. All right, so... Uh, it sounds like the uh, Sinking City of... Oh, I've never played that. Real world, depending on your choices, is influenced by Lovecraft and whatnot. Ooh, I love Lovecraft. Love that. Um, 2E was so much better than 5E Ravenloft. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know anything about Ravenloft, but 
from what I've heard of people who do love Ravenloft, yeah, that is the consensus for sure. Imagine if Raceland became a resident of the Domains of Dread, would his realm look like a morbid version of Solace? I think his realm would look like what he would have made Kryn into. That sort of wasteland, which would be awesome to roleplay out. I think that'd be a lot, a lot of fun. Sonics is also dangerous in Planescape. Oh, I didn't know that. I've never played Planescape, so that's cool. All right, so what else? Um, curses are a thing in Ravenloft. Now, anyone can curse anyone. Just, you know, a curse is ostensibly like, you did something bad to me, so I'm going to say something bad to you. So let's say, I don't know, you like, you killed my kid. And I'll be like, you will never bear children yourself and you will live your life desiring nothing but children. I curse you, right? Well, in Ravenloft, that can actually manifest. Like you say whatever you want anywhere else, but in Ravenloft, it could actually come to be. And the Vistani, which is like the gypsies of the realm, they're actually notably good at cursing people. So you never really want to turn against a Vistani or do anything bad to them because they might actually like wither your arm into like a little, you know, <laughs> useless limb or you know, depending on what you did to offend them. You know, if you've ever seen, the, probably um, Sam Raimi's best Sam Raimi-styled show, Drag Me to Hell, there's a great curse at the very beginning of that which sets up the premise for the whole film. It's amazing. It's hilarious. It's Sam Raimi on acid. It's great. That's what I imagine these curses by the Vistani being like. It's so good. You got to check it out if you haven't seen that film. Drag Me to Hell. It's worth it. All right, um, so the curses are really great. You always got to be careful. You don't really want to offend anyone too much, but you still want to do whatever it is you're trying to do in there, which for most people is trying to get out. Everyone wants to get out. There's something called the Great Conjunction, which is this, this legend that the Vistani speak of that when Azalan the Lich got caught and trapped in Ravenloft, he tried to make happen in the past from this box set's time frame. He ultimately failed because the heroes in the modules that that was happening in defeated him or defeated the conjunction or whatever it was. And so he wasn't able to leave. But that's the goal of everyone that gets drawn into Ravenloft is to get the F out. No one wants to be there because it's so scary and just terrifying. Um, and you could just get trapped forever. Lord Soth was the exception because he's a badass. But everyone else is trapped forever. I can only imagine how pissed Strahd von Zarevich was when he realized that Lord Soth got out. He was like, why him? I've been here forever from the beginning. I created this domain of dread. Ah. It's got to be frustrating for him, right? Anyway. So Ravenloft is surrounded by these mists. And it's the mists which are basically like an ethereal border that draw people in and reject and allow people to pass. Each domain is surrounded by these mists as well, sort of separating, segregating each domain. Like I said, most anyone can go through those mists into a new domain, but the lords of those realms can also close the borders in different ways. And in, you know, some of them will drive you mad if you try to go through the border when they intentionally close it. Uh, some will actually physically hurt you. And so the thing is, you don't know when that happens in most cases. And you don't know if you can actually pass through. There's people who are just lost in the mists forever. There are domains of people who Ravenloft has 
created their domain, but it's in the mist. So there's no actual borders or territories or anything. They're just sort of wandering around in these mists of darkness, driving themselves mad. So you never know what you're going to find in the mist or where you're going to end up on the other side of it if you're lucky enough to get out. That's another really great way of just trapping players in there until they fulfill X or Y in your story, right? So you're... Um, you're picturing the Ravenloft campaign that Tracy Hickman's famous killer breakfast where characters die quickly in entertaining ways. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you, you can't really do a Ravenloft-style story in that. The killer breakfast is literally just meant to kill playing characters. So people would come up from the audience and he'd kill you off in different entertaining ways. There's no real story involved. There's no real horror building. And that is really the bread and butter of Ravenloft, is the building of the horror and the story, the gothic story, the romantic story. So uh, spells change. There are new spells that are introduced into this. Um, psionics change. And uh, the way they affect their user are different. And, and again, they can drive you mad. Magic items. The effects of magic items change. So one thing to note um, that players will learn once they get into Ravenloft is that because they're in this realm of dread, you can't tell good and evil. You can only tell order or chaos. So if you try to tell someone's alignment, you'll never know if they're good or evil. You'll only know if they follow law or chaos. And I think that's a really interesting way to approach a lot of the spells and magic item effects because they all change dramatically in some cases and not at all in others. But as a player, you never know until you try it. And then it might not be the same depending on the, play, uh, depending on the uh, circumstance in the Dungeon Master. So it's very, very fluid. And as a player, you really have to trust your dungeon master that they're trying to tell you an interesting story and they're not just trying to mess with you. Because this setting is all about setting up the dungeon master to be even more powerful than they already are. If you read the, any of the Advanced Sons and Dragons Player's Handbook or Dungeon Master's Guides, it says straight up, any rule in here is up to the dungeon master. They can change any ruling at any time, no matter what. That's the strength of old school storytelling in Dungeons and Dragons, is that it's entirely, all the rules are arbitrary. It's up to the DM. And that means that you have to trust in your DM. And this campaign setting especially forces you to trust them if you're going to play with them. Now, personally, I don't like fucking with, or sorry, I don't like messing with players arbitrarily, only if the story is served best by it. And so I'll stick to the rules as much as possible just for consistency and comfort, but sometimes I'll have to sort of break out for the story. If I was a player character in the Ravenloft campaign, what type of character would you envision? I've been a player in the Ravenloft campaign. I was a paladin. Uh, paladins were always my go-to before I started playing um, Dungeon, I'm sorry, uh, Dragonlance a lot. And then it was Knights of Slamnia. I didn't get a lot of time to play because I was always DMing, but I, I love Paladins. I think they're a lot of fun. They're a challenge, especially in this setting, but you know, it creates really great role-playing opportunities. Okay, so um, magic items also that have spell effects change. Magic items that have egos and personalities change, which is always really interesting. Then you get into the next book of the Domains and Denizens, and it really talks about the land as it is currently laid out if it could be laid out, after the Grand Conjunction, the attempt at Azal and the Lich to escape Ravenloft. So before that, in 1st edition and 2nd edition, really in 2nd edition, but 
Ravenloft was this standard realm of just land. After the Grand Conjunction, some of these domains were thrown out into oceans. New islands rose up in various places. There's no actual literal location for anything. They're just sort of abstractly placed in, in the midst of a sea of sorrow. So it, everything is so amorphous and just sort of out there because it's in the ethereal realm. And it's not supposed to be a literal landmass like Ancelon, for example. Um, and it's really great because of that, too. It, it means that you can get to and from places as quickly or as slowly as the DM wants you to in order to tell a really entertaining story. Cleric is a must in Ravenloft to handle undead. Yeah, but, but, they, turning undead does not work the same way. And, and a lot of the cleric's abilities don't work the same way in Ravenloft, which is so great. Um, even evil clerics don't have stuff working the exact same way. Because, again, everything is sort of amplified, turned up to 11 in Ravenloft when it comes to the truly evil creatures and undead creatures. They're infinitely more powerful than they are. Like a zombie in Ravenloft is two or three times as strong as a zombie in any other campaign world. And it, that's intentional, which is really, really cool. You can't enter a realm without Dark Lord's permission. Yeah, or just hope they're not paying attention and the... the they're, you know, they don't have it locked, so you can just sort of slip through, maybe with a Vistani. Who knows? <laughs> okay, so um, it references the land after the Grand Conjunction in that specific time frame. So in Dragonlance parlance, it would be as if it was the Fifth Age, for example. You know, something, some big cataclysm occurred, the land is different. That is how it's describing it. And again, my biggest complaint is that it constantly references other products, which drives me insane. Just give me the damn stats. And here's the worst part. They give you a synopsis of the story. They tell you where to find it. And then later on, they give you some stats about the person that they told you to find in another like manual or something. So why not just provide everything here? Just make the book, I don't know, 100 pages longer or whatever it takes. And just give us everything here. Like, and then hike up the price a couple bucks. It just doesn't make sense. No one's going to be upset that you, you know, retread old path by including that older material. The, the fact is, is that you're already referencing it, forcing us to go buy it if we want to try out that domain. That's messed up. Just include it. We'll pay more for it. One place. Put everything in one place. It's worth the cost. Um, Vlad Drakov is also from Dragonlance, which I did not know. He's a domain ruler. He's from Thenol and Talidas. So we have Lord Soth from Ancelon, Vlad Drakov from Talidas. He rules, uh, Vlad Drakov rules this uh, domain called uh, Falkovnia, Falkovnia or whatever, I don't know. You try to do everything with like a cartoonish Count Dracula Transylvania accent because I think that's intentional. But I don't know, it also seems like I'm being shitty when I do. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I'm trying to, like, I don't know, make a joke of another culture or something. It's weird. Um, it also gives you stats for Strahd and 1 and 2. Yeah, that's very cool. For all the abilities the vampires have, Charm Person was always a favorite because it forces PCs to play evil and other characters to make tough decisions in fighting the friend. Yeah, sort of curse berserker axes. <laughs> Which was a lot of fun. <laughs> of course, um, another Dark Lord is... 
Lord Soth of Scythicus, which is a great domain. I did a whole video on Scythicus. If you guys want to check that out, it's uh, in the Dragonlance setting playlist. And then it talks about, it devotes a lot of time to the Vistani. So one thing you have to understand about the Vistani is that they're not good or evil. They just are themselves. It is very much, you know, from a certain point of view. Some domain lords, they actually give information to. And others, they work actively against. And it's just random. If you ever read the Lord Soth novels, Night of the Black Rose and Scepter of the Black uh, Rose, I think that's what it's called. They, um, there's a branch off of the Vistani, which actually was working with Lord Soth for a while and then started working against him. And so that you, you see these tribes of Vistani who sort of interact in their own tribal interesting, interested ways amidst the different domains, which makes the people very, very interesting and very multidimensional, not, not sort of cartoony and one-dimensional like characters like Strahd von Zarvich can become. Um, well, in one of the books, there was a, a character that Lord Soth dealt with that did work with him intimately and then against him. So you've heard that the new D&D adventure involves a Zalan Rex. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm really not interested in the new stuff, to be honest. I, I infinitely prefer first and second edition D&D to, to any other edition. And I'm really looking forward to running through when Black Roses bloom. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So as someone who has a background in the occult and loves the idea, I don't believe in New Age mumbo-jumbo, but I do love the idea of it. Um, I have tarot decks of my own. My son got into that too. And so I, I, it's always kind of fun to, to sort of have a shared interest in, in sort, of, sort of nonsense made up fun. Um, they go to great lengths in this to straight out lay out, this is not fortune telling. This is not real. This is just a game mechanic. Please don't. I think what they were trying to do was not cause another satanic uh, panic. Because ultimately, satanic panic came about because there was devils and demons in the monster manual. And so freakish Christian parents were losing their minds that they thought that Satan was influencing their children. And they thought they found a great way to spread their religion. And ultimately... The secret between all religion people is to make money. And so they tithe and they get donations. And I mean, that's a whole game of religion. And so they found a way to get mass interest in religion, in politics, and make more money. It's a business after all. So they were trying to avoid that by just straight up saying at the beginning and end of the whole Taroka deck section, this isn't real. Please don't, don't ban this book or this, this uh, box set. Please understand that we understand we're not summoning dark forces. It's just meant for a role-playing storytelling aid. It's like, of course. How could you not think that? Like, what kind of morons would actually grab a, a Taroka deck from a Ravenloft box set and actually think that it's real and that they could divine the future with it? You have to be an idiot. Of course, there are other versions of tarot decks that tell you the, that exact thing, so... You believe what you want to believe in life. Anyway, the way that they treat the Taroka deck in um, this is very much like those gothic vampire friends of mine, how they treated their tarot decks. And so at least what they did was lean into the way people actually perceive. And if anyone knows anything about tarot, it derived from playing cards. <laughs> 
it was the Victorian era that made it like a magical thing. And it was just so that Victorian women primarily could fleece money out of the aristocracy in the, the uh, um, Victorian era from people. And it worked. And same with seances and stuff. I mean, they faked everything, made tons of money, became hugely successful and no notorious. And how can you hate someone that makes money? Like, you know, if you, if there's people gullible and they want to come to it, hey, that's them. They're getting the experience they wanted. You're getting their money. No harm, no foul. It's a win-win. Uh, anyway, I, I go off on rants on this. Sorry, guys. So I thought the Taroko deck was really great. It goes into way more detail than I would have ever expected them to go to. Uh, much more than the Talus deck with Dragonlance, into what the meaning is of each of the different cards and different suits, and they really dive deep into it, which, as far as role-playing is concerned, is great, but how often are you really going to be reading them? So you have to know that you're going to use them so that then you read through everything, hope you understand it, and then role-play it out. And they give you really great ways of stacking the deck to tell a really great story and making the players actually think that they came up with certain ideas when really it's you influencing those ideas. And they give you great ways of working around the, the mystery of it in order to make it seem real when it is clearly not real. <laughs> it's all made up. Sorry, people who believed in that stuff. It, it's literally all made up. <laughs> it's totally fake. But it is fun. So if you enjoy it, do your thing, man. You know, I will never disparage someone's kink, no matter what it is, as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. Um, and that's really the strength of this. You get a really great Dungeon Master screen. You get some really great Taroka cards. Uh, you get some great, first of all, the poster's dope as hell. Who doesn't love that painting? Um, the, the world setting itself is very interesting, and it sort of encapsulates everything that happened in Ravenloft up to the Grand Conjunction and a little bit past it. Uh, in this one box set, it corrects some uh, errata issues that previous editions had. So ultimately, I highly recommend that you check out this if you ever want to run any game in Ravenloft, specifically in second edition. But it's also just a great sort of role-playing world campaign uh, setting source. Because with almost all of the Ravenloft stuff, it's infinitely heavier on story than it is mechanics. And that's intentional. A lot of people complained about it when that came out because they wanted that sort of the, the crunchy numbers that all of Dungeons and Dragons, especially Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, hyper-focused on. Well, it didn't have that. It was really just to set a mood. And it completely broke the, the dichotomy of what Dungeons and Dragons was when it was first released, which is why it was so popular when it first came out and why it persisted even into 5th edition before Dragonlance. It's because of the horror element, and everyone loves getting scared. Even if you don't enjoy it, it still sort of titillates you in a terrifying way. And it's exciting. It's fun. So anyway, I, I would give this, like, out of five plates of Odic Spice Potatoes being the best, I'd give it, like, three plates. Karaman ate the other two. That bugger got in my way. But three plates of Odic Spice Potatoes out of five. This is a great... Great resource for Ravenloft, especially for this edition of Dungeons and & Dragons. And ultimately, it's invaluable for me as a dungeon master who's going to be running a campaign or an adventure module when Black Roses bloom in Ravenloft with characters that I'm going to be making this weekend <laughs> with the players. So look forward to that. Definitely check it out. That's kind of all I had for this. 
<laughs> review. What do you guys think about Ravenloft? Does it bother you that I cover other campaign settings in small ways on a Dragonlance channel? They're all tangentially connected, of course, if not by creator, then by characters. But um, I, w I do want to keep this channel hyper-specific to Dragonlance and not go off on weird tangents. But if there are little tangential connections, I would like to sort of share them. You know, I read all the Dragonlance novels that Lord Soth was in and the stories and comics and presented them to you all. I did the Spelljammer novels because, you know, the main character, Telden Moore, came from Dragonlance. Um, even though some of those novels are terrible. But I did it <laughs> because I'm obsessive about this stupid setting. I did the comics of Spelljammer and stuff. So let me know if it's a problem. Otherwise, I'm going to continue down this road as things split off. You know, and I, I'm not going to promise this will ever happen, but like I've never played Planescape. So I've never actually played a game in Spelljammer either. I wouldn't mind trying my hand at doing a Dragonlance Spelljammer crossover adventure but I, you know i wouldn't mind playing some of the other campaign worlds like planescape you know the characters come from or go to dragonlance through planescape maybe try that out and see what that's like you know what i mean and if that's something that you're into then we can explore that in years to come and just sort of have fun um planescape is awesome awesome you've been reading it for weeks black roses bloom speaking of spell jammer there's also clean space yeah i've actually covered that in uh, videos on this channel as well so you should check that out if you like it uh dragonlance and ravenloft are created from the same people also they share a lot of similar religion and cultural iconography and symbolism yeah for sure 100 uh you don't mind at all you love ravenloft always a little room to roam yeah that's what i think too that, that's what i love about it all right that's going to do it for me. I got other stuff to do tonight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your time and attention. And let me know what you think of Ravenloft in the comments below or in the live chat if you're still with me on live. Blue Beetle, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. I would say hi to the, um, I'm assuming that's Russian styled name, but I don't know how to pronounce it. So, hi, Korvodikovago. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, man. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you. Uh, Jason, what up? Lady Kepra, how you doing? I like Margaret Weiss too. She's she's awesome. She's dope. Uh, you've done all that? Oh, cool. Awesome. All right, we're going to have to do it. you have to join me for a game or something sometime. It'd be fun. All right. I would like to take a moment and remind you all to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Click the bell to get notified about upcoming videos and click that like button. It all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. Of course, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of Dragonlance Saga and even tangential campaign settings. Thank you for joining the celebration. Till next time, my name is Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Slanjavar.